are listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, I'm Mike Gaston. This is episode number 137 of the podcast, 137. We're recording this on December 11th, 2023, and I am battling a little bit of a flu, kind of a, it's either an aggressive cold or a mild flu. No, I did not take a COVID test. Let's just start out hostile. Yeah, I'm in a bad mood. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> oh my gosh. We never took a test for anything. Yeah, if you had, you thought you might have strep or something, okay, you might go take a test because there might be a permanent problem. But these days it's like, come on, who takes a COVID test? Only people looking to get out of work. You're just looking for an excuse to like, you know, hive yourself off and watch Netflix and your snuggy jammies for a, for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Quote unquote, work from home. Yeah, right, buddy. All right. Hey, how's everybody doing? It's been a while, huh? It's always been a while. Every time I get behind this mic, it's been a while. Uh, shame on me. This year, uh, kind of crazy, but it's been crazy for everybody. We're almost wrapped up here. Hope you guys are ready for the holidays. So I'm going to talk today about RFID chips, and we're going to get right into it. But before we do, I want to let you know, a number of people have gotten in touch saying, hey, when are you going to finish that Eric Vogelin series? That's really good. So here's the thing. I started that series. There are five episodes out. I started at the end of January. I can't believe it. Like I went back to look. I was like, how could this be almost a full year? Uh, I started at the end of January, and I'm covering this book, The New Science of Politics, for those that don't know. And I want to get it finished, but here's what I've had to do. Because I have strung the stupid thing out for so long, and because the material is so dense, I've had to go back and listen to all the episodes, the five previous episodes, to remember what exactly did I even say, first of all, where are we going, where did I leave off, so that I can actually you know, map out and record the last episode or two to get this thing wrapped up. So... For those of you asking, it's coming. I believe I'll have an episode next week. I'm in a pretty good place. I spent, you know, because I'm not feeling well, uh, I spent this weekend getting caught up, making notes, etc. <clears throat> You're going to hear me clear my throat a couple of times and gulp water just because uh, I've had a scratchy throat. Now, one interesting thing about that series, I say interesting, embarrassing, having listened through the whole thing, I'm like, oh my gosh. I, first of all, do I hate myself or what? Like I listened to hours of myself talking about this Eric Vogelin and I'm like, dude, do not quit your day job. You are not an academic. Just stop already. So I'm going to finish this thing because I started it. I committed to it, but I, I'm, I'm like listening to myself and just cringing. I'm not sure. Guys are like, dude, you got to finish this great stuff. You got to finish it. I, I don't know why. Um, the other thing is, and I don't want to do that in this episode. I'm going to get right to it. But I will take 15, 20 minutes of rambling before I even get into the to the content. I shouldn't be pointing out the problems with my own content, but boy, listening to myself for hours back to back, it's it's like I'm just, I'm cringing. I'm like, okay, I got to get better at, at, at my content. Now, part of the problem too is the fact that I'm not putting content out regularly, regularly enough. And so that I find myself in this kind of phase where I'm like, well, let me re-explain. Let me cover everything. You know, last time on the currency, we talked, you know, as a review. And then it's like the setting it all up. And I'm making all these excuses and qualifications. So anyway, we're going to get Vogelin knocked out, baby. It's good stuff. But uh, next week should have the next episode for you. Today, it's RFID chips. Now, here's the thing. As a consultant... 
I'm ensconced in the business world, uh, the world of things like manufacturing and consumer goods and retailers and import, export, all this kind of stuff. I get access and invisibility into a whole component of society, the economic component of a free market uh, that's kind of cool. I get to see things behind the curtain. And there's a move right now towards RFID chips. Now, you guys are probably familiar. These things have been around for a long time. They're pretty ubiquitous. Uh, they're these, these and, it's, and it's a two-part system, but RFID stands for radio frequency identification, and it's a two-part system. Usually there's a chip. The chip can be like the size of a little grain of rice, sometimes like a little plastic bump you'll see in a product, or it can almost be like a label, um, almost like a, a label with, with some almost like semiconductor wiring inside the label, and it gets put on a product. So that's the one side. That, that, and that, that's zapped with data, information. You can zap these things so you can apply it. Like if you think of a factory line, like the sticker gets put on and then zapped with data. I don't know if it gets zapped first and put on, whatever. But it can then store information. There's no battery, so it's not like putting out a signal. It just stores the information. And then on the other side, the second part of the system would be a reader. And the reader can then pull that data from the RFID chip. Now, this can't work over miles. This has to be in proximity. But the movement right now is that retailers want RFID chips on products. And, you know, if you've done any shopping, you've seen these things on products already. It's not like they don't exist. This isn't new. This has been around for a little while. But there's a bigger push to start to see these RFID chips applied to products, all products across these big box retailers. They, they want it. And here's you know th some good rationales behind this. Uh, and I want to bring it up. I'm not talking about this from a business perspective. There's a sociological kind of political uh, uh, aspect to this that, that I want to tease out together today. So... There's good rationales behind their drive to do this. When you have RFID chips on products, let's say you're you know you're you're buying cans of hairspray, or you, you know you, so there's a manufacturer that manufactures hairspray. Uh, we'll say bottles. Let's say they're you know you squeeze a little mist a mister bottle, not an aerosol because aerosols you know verboten these days because of the climate. Um, so you're buying from a manufacturer these plastic bottles of hairspray. Now you're saying to the manufacturer that, hey, you got to put RFID chips on your bottles because what we want to be able to do is track that product because the, the manufacturer is going to send it to a big distribution center. That distribution center is then going to send it out to various stores across the country. And then those stores are going to take it into their warehouse and then they're going to put it on shelves. And what happens a couple things happen. One is shrinkage. So in the industry, they talk about shrinkage. That's where you, you had 100 items of something and now you got 87. It, the shrinkage is kind of code word mainly for theft. You know, things either get damaged on the dock, they get shoplifted, uh, they might go missing in the warehouse, you know, uh, I, I don't know where that went, sir. And, you know, if you check the trunk of my car, I might have some splaining to do. But product gets stolen. So that's shrinkage. So one issue is shrinkage. The other issue is like, where is it? And you and I have probably, I'm sure you've experienced this, like 
I've done this before. I've gone on to Home Depot's website. Let's say I want to get a desk. They've got these really cool husky desks. They're like a workbench style desk and they've got a crank handle. You can make them go up or down. They're a few hundred bucks. But you go online and go, oh yeah, there's there's uh, two in stock at the store down the street for me. Great. Okay. Now, often if they don't have it on in stock, you can order it online right there. You go, oh, well, I'll order it and have it sent to that store. I'll go pick it up. Or, you know, you've got options. But you can see online that they've got two at the Home Depot down the road. You hop in your car, you scoot down there. Oh, uh, we can't, nope, doesn't look like we have it here. Well, what's going on? Well, often the system is not updating correctly. So either someone, somehow it didn't get tracked that they sold the two or the shelf is empty and they went back into the warehouse and the bay where they usually keep those things, that's empty. And so we don't have it. But actually, Todd on the tow motor happened to move that stuff off to the side and it got left in the wrong bay. And lo and behold, there's actually two there, but nobody knew that. Be like you can get inventory in a warehouse at the store and people don't even know it's there because it's misplaced. And that happens. I mean, it happens all the time, all the time. Uh, you, you can even go in a store if you're looking for small items, you know, you're looking for an outlet, a uh, three-prong outlet. You know, you go into a Lowe's or a Home Depot and the bay's empty, but then you notice that a couple bays over, somebody threw a couple of them in the wrong bay. They mixed it in with other products. Like, it's there. They've got them. You just have to dig around in, in the wrong spot to find them. So RFID chips help with that because they allow stores to say, well, where are those things? You, you get your readers, and it's like, oh, they're right over here in bay number 12, 12D. Well, they're not supposed to be there, but there they are. So you get a much more accurate read. You get more control over your inventory. You can, you can you know, nip shrinkage in the bud, and you can track missing product and know where your product is at any given time. It creates a better user experience for the customer, makes the uh, whole, you know, team at the retailer's life a lot easier. The floor people can find stuff easier. Customers aren't complaining that, well, it's set online, you have it, now I can't find it, and, and on top of it, uh, people in the back, uh, purchasing people, accounting people, everybody wins with this kind of technology. It's very convenient. It gives a great uh, customer experience, and it gives the store much more control. But here's the thing. You get a convergence of technologies, and you look at some recent historical, uh, political, economic behavior, and there's a darker side to this whole movement. This is a darker side. Now, I remember during COVID, which wasn't that long ago, <laughs> you know, this whole this whole vaccine thing where out of terror, we rushed to this vaccine and people jumped on board and there were cities and states and municipalities that wouldn't allow you to do certain things unless you had the vax. Take New York City, for example. You couldn't, I mean, there were restaurants you couldn't go into without a VAX card. There were events you couldn't go to without showing your VAX card. Not just in New York City. I mean, this was all over the country. This kind of stuff was happening. You had to produce a card that showed you had your COVID vaccine. Well, come to find out, uh, the COVID vaccine isn't working. And you can argue with me all you want, but look at the recent uptake numbers in America. If... If most of America thought that those vaccines worked, the recent booster uptake would be pretty good. It was somewhere around, I don't know, 3 to 5%. It's ridiculously low. It's comically low. 
it's heartbreakingly low. Not meaning I wish more people would take it, meaning we've all kind of figured out that this thing was a was a scam. Now, I don't mean to say I, I'm not implying that I think there was some secret, you know, scammy. I just mean to say this was bullshit. The whole thing was bullshit. And a lot of people are figuring out the, the, the stupid vaccine didn't work. And as a matter of fact, uh, we're seeing all kinds of really troubling statistics that are correlated. Uh, they might not equal causation. Correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation, but golly gee, there sure is something worth digging into. I mean, the increased deaths, in increased cancer, these supposed turbo cancers. I mean, there's just so much, the strokes, myocarditis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's a host of really bad problems that no one seems to want to talk about. No one seems to want to address. I'm not getting into that today, but the reason I bring that up is to say we really screwed up on this one. From, from COVID at the very beginning being developed in a lab funded by Anthony Fauci and National Institute of Health, et cetera, um, or NDH, NDH, National Department of Health, I don't you know, funded by us, the taxpayer, on the sly to the lab leak, to the whole response of our government and the rest of the world, the lockdowns, the the outrageous social pressure. I mean, how many people lost their jobs for not getting the vax? I mean, I was talking about you couldn't go get dinner or see a concert. Millions of people lost their jobs because they didn't get the vax. Hundreds of thousands, police officers, military personnel, airline pilots, all lost their jobs because they didn't get the vax. And there's an untold number of people that we just don't know about. And there's a whole nother group of people that got the vax against their better judgment just to keep their employment, to be able to feed their families, pay their mortgages, et cetera. So you look at, you look at how we behaved just recently as a society, and we failed. We failed this one. We did not handle it correctly. Now, there's a connection to RFID. Hang in there, folks. And it's not 5G. <laughs> uh, those of you who are like, what is he talking about? You know, uh, there's this whole kind of goofy thing about 5G and COVID, et cetera. And I say goofy. I don't know anything about it. It's one of those, it's a conspiracy theory. I don't know much about it. But that supposedly COVID was caused by 5G. Okay. So you look at the way that we behaved as a society. And where I'm Going with this RFID is this idea of convergence of digital technology. If you look at China right now, they are a totalitarian and have been a totalitarian society to, to, to the max. And there's a lot of there are a lot of people in our society that look to China, people in our government even that look to China that go, wow, they've really got it figured out. Because it's the welfare state. They, they couch everything in what's good for the people. We'll make decisions that are good for you, which is exactly what we did here. We'll make decisions that are good for you. We'll quarantine you. We'll strip you of your job. It's, we'll force you to get vaxxed, all these kinds of things, because we know best of what's good for you. Forget the Constitution that you have the freedom to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We'll decide for you, you know, what you should and shouldn't, what you can and can't do. So you've got the convergence of technology. It shows up, you can see it in China, where people have a social credit score. And based on their social credit score, based on their adherence to government policy, their speech, their public behaviors, et cetera, et cetera, their political views, they get a score. 
And that score is, it carries a lot of weight. If you have a low social credit score, let's say you criticize the government publicly. Let's say you behaved in ways on social media uh, that the government frowns upon, you know, um, let's say you hold views that are against the the mainstream narrative, you end up with a lower social credit score. And this has Im- just outrageously important impact uh, effects on you. So, so you may not be able to get banking. You may not be able to have a bank account. You may not be able to be employed. You may not be able to uh, rent an apartment, have a place to live. You can't get access to credit. You can't get access to transportation. And if you look at the way China be, uh, operates, and I've I've seen this, I, I know some people that live there. You know, you carry your phone around. Like even getting access point, like you're going from one city to the next city, you have to check in. You don't just get off the subway train and just go on your merry way. There are checkpoints. You've got to scan your phone with a code into the system, and the system gives you the green or the red light. If you get the red light, you get pulled off. Like you're not allowed in. And this isn't just like, oh, uh, you know, we go through TSA to be able to fly somewhere, you know, and they pull you aside to make sure you don't have any explosive material on you. This is just based on social credit score. You post the wrong meme and you get pulled out of line. I mean, think about that. There are, and there are people in our society that want that. They're like, yes, yes, shut those people up that I disagree with. I mean, it's just, it's insane. So when you start looking at things like RFID chips and you look at a country like China that has so much control and you've got the convergence of technology, their whole life is kind of stored on that phone and they live or die by their social credit score. Their ability to thrive depends on a social credit score. And you look at the way that we behave during COVID, it's like your ability to keep a job, to get a job. Is, is based on your vaccine status. I mean, I was flying during that period of time. I still do. And I'm sitting there thinking like at some point, they're going to demand that you have a vaccine to be able to fly. There was talk about that. The Biden administration was making that noise. And I thought if they do that, I'm done for. How am I supposed to go to my clients? How am I supposed to feed my family, pay my mortgage? Like, what will I do? You 12-hour drive in the car one way? I mean, you do what you have to do, right? But, but there, there was a moment there where it seemed like if you didn't get the vax, which was totally voluntary, you were going to be denied the ability to travel in the U.S. I mean, that's kind of where things were. And, and there was no like, hey, this is – we're overreacting. The government was like, we, we want to be quick with this. It was like, we'll let you know when you can get back to your normal life. I mean, everybody was well past any type of danger, threat, et cetera. And and yet the government just insisted on keeping this control. It's like, well, not yet. We're not going to let you go yet. Uh, So looking at RFID technology, uh, you've got this situation where it makes it much easier for the retailer, et cetera, to track the product. And they're going to manufacturers of products and importers now and saying, hey, we're starting to implement this across various product categories. So we want you to plan ahead, start planning into your system, uh, including these RFID uh, tags on your product. 
and the reason they have to get ahead of the curve is this requires new equipment. This requires an invest requires an investment. Sometimes there are engineering challenges, like the way a product package is engineered. Like how where will the chip go? You know, d- does our our line? You know, you think of these manufacturing lines. Does our line accommodate uh, adding in a chip? Where would it get? Place to how does it get you know zapped? Does it does the chip interfere with things flowing through the system? There's a lot to consider, and a lot of these manuf- a lot of these retailers are demanding that the manufacturers and the importers absorb all the costs. It could add. I mean, so it's funny. These big retailers will beat up, say, a manufacturer on price. Like, hey, if you want to get your product into our five thousand stores. Uh, and I'm exaggerating, but it could be 1,000, it could be 2,000, 2,500 stores. You look at like a, like a Lowe's or a, a Target or Walmart, and they've got thousands of stores. So you want to get your product in, you're going to have to give us the lowest price possible. You know, so they beat you up, beat you up, and then finally, okay, good. And you've, and you've like, you've sharpened your pencil and sharpened your pencil because you know, if I can make a little bit of money on a lot of products across the country, I'll be rich, right? So you're like, we, we're in whatever it takes. Then later, after you're settled in and you're tr- trying to make that pricing work, they'll come back and go, oh, by the way, you, you have to add this whole system in here over the next year or two, or else you know, we're not going to carry your product anymore. And by the way, you have to absorb all the costs on that. Well, I'll tell you what, you add five, 10 cents to a product, uh, you can really, I mean, that that's make or break for a lot of companies. You know, you think all these manufacturers are getting rich, you know, they're selling through Walmart. No, the margins are really low, really low. Uh, now, there's some upsides. It's not all downside. But anyway, so so these importers and manufacturers and consumer goods companies, they're all focused on how do we get up to speed for, for what these big box stores are starting to let us know is going to become standard requirement down the road. But... Oh, and if you look at, um, you know, Amazon bought, uh, was it Whole Foods a while back? And they were experimenting. This isn't brand new. Like, they were experimenting with uh, checkout less stores. I mean, you go into a store and somehow the store kind of logs in your phone. It knows it's you. And you just put products in your cart. And the cart is keeping track of what you're buying. Well, that's RFID. You know, there's a re- little reader in the cart. You're throwing stuff in there. The products have chips and the reader is pinging each product as it comes in. Oh, there's a box of saltines. You know, there's a head of lettuce. And and then you just go out the store. Like, you don't have to go through a checkout. You don't even have to go through the, um, you don't even have to go through the, uh, you know, the checkout now, the self-checkout. That's become really big. You know, everybody's got the self-checkout, which um, I'm not a big fan of. Sometimes they're nice, but uh, sometimes they're a little creepy. Like, if you go to Aldi's, They've got a video screen. They're showing your face. They're recording you uh, while you check out. Lydia refuses to go through those. She's just outraged by it. It's like she's such a loyal customer, and she's a good person. It's like, don't treat me like this. Why are you recording me? It's creepy. Like, what are you doing with a video of me shopping? Some of the idea is that if you record someone and they can see that they're being recorded, they're much less likely to steal. But but still, it's just it's just getting very kind of dehumanized and, and creepy. But these Whole Foods, these test stores that Amazon's been playing with, uh, they, you, know, you, you don't have to even go through a self-checkout because of RFID and your phone. It just tracks what you're buying, and it just charges your account. This is all set up ahead of time. It just, boop, you go out the door, and you're all set. And you can kind of see where this is going, or at least I'm taking it. The concern I have is 
you know, this is convenient. It gives them control, helps them stop shrinkage, all this kind of stuff. Tech, isn't technology great? But as you see the convergence in our society of technology, you see our money becoming more and more digital. It's already digital. Even if you're not Bitcoin or stablecoin, the fact of the matter is you come work for me, I'm going to pay you in direct deposit. I'm not going to hand you an envelope with dollar bills in it at the end of the month saying, here's your pay packet. There's going to be a transaction that happens. Paychex is going to take care of it. And they're going to take digital money out of my account and put that digital money in your account. Then you're going to sit there on Saturday morning when you do your bills. You're going to log into your bank account, either on your phone or on your laptop. And you're going to pay your bills digitally. Like There's no dollars involved. It's all digital anyway. So it doesn't even have to be digital currency in the sense that you're using you know, Bitcoin, stable coins, or you know, some type of digital currency. I mean, our money is digitized. It's very rare for any of us to have cash these days. I never carry cash, never. I'm every once in a blue moon, uh, I, but I don't carry cash. No one does. So our money is digital. These things are being stored on our phones or being transmitted on our phones. You got things like Apple Pay, Venmo, you all these systems where you can move currency around. On top of that, you look at how we went with the VAX story I was just talking about, you to think about medical records. People talk about, wouldn't it be great if all that could just be on your phone? Apple's already got, as does Android, some kind of you know, ground-level health software where you can store records, your, your wallet, the Apple wallet. I use it for flying. You know, I, I never have a paper a boarding pass anymore. You know, I just put it on the phone and scan it, boop, and off we go. So you see the convergence of our lives to these digitized versions that, that end up on our phone. Everything's on our phone. Everything. And then you you bring in the story of corporatism. You know, like, Mike, what are you talking about? So I've talked about corporatism before, either, you know, on the podcast, on my YouTube channel. Corporatism is kind of this quasi-economic governmental structure where your giant corporations of your society are in league, in bed with your government. And what I mean by that is the government is saying to these giant corporations, hey, we have social programs that we want to put in place and we need your help. So you play ball and you, through your employee base and through your customer base, help implement these programs. And if you do that, we're going to give you special perks. We're going to give you special opportunities. We're going to give you special uh, money-making contracts, et cetera. So an example of this would be Pride Month. I mean, you look at any giant corporation, any publicly traded corporation, any large business, and Pride Month is a really difficult time for anyone with a traditional view of sexuality, a traditional view of marriage, et cetera. Now, you might say, oh, that's so old-fashioned, that's so evil, those people. And most of my listeners aren't going to say that. But the fact of the matter is there's a really huge population in America that thinks that traditional sexuality, traditional marriage, et cetera, is right. And untraditional, non-traditional is wrong. Now, they might say, look, I don't agree with it. I don't believe in it. I don't, you know, it's none of my business, but personally, I don't agree. But when they look at homosexuality and transgenderism, they would say, like, you know, if you're traditional Catholic, if you're a small O Orthodox Christian uh, of any sort, Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic, if you just tend to be more traditional in your approach and understanding of the faith, that's just one, by the way. Uh, you've got Jewish and Islamic uh, believers as well, uh, believers in those faiths. I mean, that's a huge population that's a huge chunk of our population in the U.S. 
This isn't some little tiny faction that disagrees. It's just that they're quiet. But so, so all these people are subjected to a whole month of not just kind of keeping their mouth shut. They have to make public declarations of affirmation of, of, of queer pride. They have to wear pins and put up little flags in their offices and change their email and social media avatars because that's what the corporation demands. This is an example where a corporation, the corporations, large ones, are in bed with the government implementing social programs that the government has invested in. And you can see it in the product lines as well. Like all the products, everything's gay, everything's gay, all the products, the media, the entertainment, it's like... So these corporations are pushing out agendas that the state has deemed important. And then in return, they get special tax breaks. They're at the table when laws are being made. So the laws are made in a way that benefit them, but then hurt you know, the little guy. And I'll go back to COVID as an example of this. Uh, often, you would have seen during the COVID era where we had to shut down stores, you know, like I can't do any retail. Ah, but wait a minute, the Walmarts and Targets of the world and the Lowe's and Home Depots, they got to stay open. They got to stay open, but somehow your local true value hardware store or your corner grocer got shut down because assuming that COVID only hits small privately owned businesses, but it's COVID was actually terrified of the publicly traded giant uh, chain retail stores. I mean, this is the insanity. But but what you end up seeing isn't a couple, three or four people smoking cigars in a back room going, here's what we're going to do. But these deeper philosophies, ideologies, attitudes, and ways of being, uh, and corporatism being one of them, bubbling up and manifesting in ways that you and I don't necessarily connect the dots on. We're just we're like, this is so hypocritical. This is bullshit, man. Yeah, you're right. But there's a deeper idea. There's a stream underneath this thing informing it. And there's a reason why the mom and pop got screwed and the big corporate didn't. And it's not because they're too big to fail. If, if it truly were the type of emergency that they said it was, then everyone would have to shut down. You know, in a war, you don't go, hey, uh, this is an existential threat. We're all going to die, but only shoot enemy combatants that have brown hair. Don't shoot the ones with red hair or blonde hair, okay? Because it's the ones with the brown hair that we really got to worry. No, you, if you're fighting for your life, you try to shoot all the enemy. You try to fight all the enemy. You try to defeat all the enemy. But somehow during COVID, it was so important. And yet, we, you know, we, we can't shut down Walmart. <laughs> that tells you, you know, something. I'll let you connect the dots. So when you have this corporatist environment, which we have here in the U.S., where you've got big corporates and government in bed together helping one another, you have the convergence of technology and you have this, this movement in the welfare state of controlling the individual's behaviors. You, you see this model not that far off in China. They're ahead of us, but not that far. And you see that model actually uh, respected by a lot of folks in leadership, a lot of voices in the U.S., you can see where this RFID thing is going because you start to say, okay, now I've got this checkout free thing. I'm, I'm at Whole Foods, which is a, owned by a giant corporation. It's giant in and of itself. I start throwing things in my basket. But lo and behold, I, I posted egregious memes 
recently and I got in trouble for that. And so as I'm about to go out the door with my products, boop, 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 the light goes off. And it's like, no, you're, 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 you have to wait, sir. And then security comes out and they remove a handful of things from your basket because your social credit score is too low. And you're not actually not allowed some of these luxury items. That, that Haagen-Dazs ice cream that you couldn't wait to have, no. But you are allowed you know, the rice. You can have rice and butter. Maybe not even butter. That's a luxury. It's a fat. But um, maybe you're not allowed to buy anything. So you start to see where RFID technology makes it easier for the state to control you. And, you know, people may listen to this and think, Mike, you're being a bit like you're really stretching to pull this together. Am I really? I mean, am I really stretching that that hard? You know, do we have to... Do, do we question the fact that the state wants control over individuals? Is that a question? Do we question the fact that society, a lot of people in society want to silence those that disagree with them? Do we have to question the fact that free speech is under assault, that personal liberty is under assault? Do we have to question those facts? Do, do we really have to kind of argue that case to establish that, that but that's what's going on? Do, we, do I have to establish that, that corporations are in bed with the state and that social programs are being pushed through these corporations? Now, I'm not asserting that there's some secret group somewhere. There may be, but I'm not trying to assert that there's some group out there pulling the levers and pushing the buttons. This is what, you know... You look at Adam Smith's invisible hand, there was no entity behind the invisible hand. This is what happens when you get this collection of of millions of decisions that kind of come together and flow up. You get this invisible hand. I think there have been thousands of decisions. There are certain streams and ideologies informing this, the idea of the welfare state, the idea of, you know, keep me safe, the idea of consumption over production, the idea of... Uh, equity, making sure everything's fair and, you know, you got white supremacy. I mean, even go there. Let's say it's your social credit score is low because you're a white person and we got to make things fair. So you're not allowed to buy certain things at a store uh, with these RFID chips that alerts the sensor. And by the way, that doesn't have to be decided by an individual. Add AI into this whole mix. I mean, you get this convergence of technology and it's all about convenience. It's like, oh, AI makes things so much easier. And oh, digital currency makes everything so much easier, digital banking. And oh, you know, having my phone and everything in the wallet, like, you know, I'm guilty. I do it too. Like I said, when I travel, boarding passes makes it so much easier. So, so we come for the convenience, but what we end up giving up is autonomy and we end up becoming more controlled. Or if you're not controlled in the moment, it just becomes easier to throw the switch and say, now we're controlling you. Now we're controlling you. So it's it's interesting to me to observe this. You know, what do you do about it? I mean, there's a lot that can be done. The, the advice I have right now and, and the thing that I'm kind of looking through, and I've already been on this kind of tear for a while, but, you know, stop doing business with the big corporations. Stop doing business with the big corporations. Don't work for them. Don't be employed by them. Don't Don't shop with them. Don't give them your money. Like avoid them as much as you can. Now I fly, right? So I, I'm I'm working with a big corporation. Southwest gets my money because I don't have another way to get from Charleston to BWI or Charleston to, you know, Atlanta without hopping on a jet. That's just, you know, that just is what it is. But in my day-to-day consumer shopping, I'm not I'm not going to Walmart. I'm not going to Target. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I do go to Home Depot, okay, from time to time. I also shop at the local 
hardware store. So it just depends what I'm trying to acquire. But like I make a conscious choice to not shop with these people if I don't have to. It takes work. And I'm not telling you that it's wrong to shop with them. I'm just saying that the, the more you can untangle yourself from relying on these giant corporations, the better off you are. Look, I shop with Amazon all the time. Okay, so I'm not trying to put myself out there as some some renegade, you know, hey man, I only shop local, dude. No, buddy. I'm on that Amazon site all the time hitting add to cart, you know, like it's great. I buy a lot of books, uh, I buy products, etc. So I I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here where I'm like, I'm telling you to live one way that I don't live, but I am saying I think we need to start becoming more cognizant of our relationship to these giant corporations. Listen to me, I sound like a 1968 hippie. And, uh, and, 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 and the hold they have over our lives, you know, especially from an employment standpoint, if you're someone that's working for a giant corporation, if I were you, I would be working very diligently trying to figure out how to get out of that whole world and, and work for a smaller privately owned company. Yeah, you might not make as much or your benefits might not be as good, but I can guarantee your quality of life will be better if you can find a small business. When I say small, I don't mean like 500,000 a year. I mean, like a small business can be 200 million a year. It's still technically a small business, privately owned company. Uh, You can make great money. You can make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year working for a privately held company. And that company and its ownership could very much align with your beliefs, your worldview. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a boss, an owner who has similar uh, ideas to you, that has a similar worldview, has similar values, and so is not going to demand and require that you behave in ways that go against your conscience and actually might, they might fight for your rights because they are personally outraged and and refuse to give in. I watched this happen during COVID where good business owners said, no, I'm not forcing, like if, look, if an employee wants to get a vax, they can go do whatever they want to do, but I am not going to force my employees to get the vax. And, and there were factions within these companies pushing like, you have to, I don't want to work with people that aren't vaxxed. And, and those owners had to stand tough and say, hey, knock it off, <laughs> you know? So if you're in a situation where you're working for a large corporation, I would strongly advise you to try to find a way and take some time. I understand it's not going to happen overnight, but find a way to get out. And I would also be auditing informally or formally, however you want to do it, your life, and looking at how you bank, how you shop, uh, how you consume, and look for ways to untangle yourself from these giant corporations. You, you Look, the answer is not to move out uh, and to live by yourself in some survivalist mode uh, on some you know hundred acre farm that's inaccessible and somehow ride this thing out. Human beings are built for community. We're built for community. It's the way God made us. We have to have. We're social creatures, and we have to rely on one another. We're supposed to, but you've got to start thinking in ways that go beyond uh, your daily life of of consumption and pleasure. That's not meant to be an attack. I think all of us, just our culture, we have to start thinking differently. So that's that's my take on the whole RFID thing. I you know, there's always going to be more to come, but it's just it's an it's a trend coming. I want you to be aware of it. It's something I get a little bit of a perspective in uh, through my work. Uh, you you know you you can do some research. You can see papers published in 
there's some information out there on RFID. I don't think the technology itself is inherently evil. It's just the way that the technology is used. Same thing for guns. Guns don't kill people. People do. And RFID is actually pretty cool. It's a great little cool technology. But as it is implemented into the consumer world and as we see the convergence of both uh, corporatism, digital technology, and and the totalitarian slash welfare state, you will find that you and I are going to lose autonomy in our ability to uh, transact and live and own and uh, and per- own property and pursue happiness. So I think the best you and I can do is to start making even small changes now, but to be cognizant and to make changes in our life. So that's that. Guys, I'm wondering what you think. Do me a favor, a couple things. If you want to get the show notes to the show, just go to thecurrency.show forward slash episode 137. That's thecurrency.show forward slash episode 137. Two other things you can do when you go there, you can sign up for my newsletter if you've not done that already. And you can even donate to the show. You can throw a couple bucks at me to help me offset the cost, focus more time. I'm really excited about doing a ton more content going forward, uh, but I need your help. So if you can throw, uh, if you found some value from what I did and you, and you want to provide some value back, I would be more than grateful. Guys, I love each and every one of you. God bless you all, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Cheers.